Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Total Dream Life Project. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Dickert, and I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in as always, and welcome to episode 52. We have made it to a year, 52 straight weeks of a podcast. I'm pretty excited, you know, I figured I could do it, but now I have the proof, and uh, we've got 52 episodes. Kind of neat, not a bad thing to do. Uh, It's been a nice hobby for the year, there's been challenges, Um, there's been uh, things I've learned, there's been growth, there's been mistakes, there's been episodes I accidentally deleted, there's been sound that wasn't there, um, I learned how to fade in music and how to do some editing that I hadn't done in a very long time, so that was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I think we learned some cool stuff along the way. Uh, some of the things I've learned in the last year, just start. That's the biggest one, you know. A year ago, exactly a year ago, exactly a year ago, I started the podcast, but exactly a year and like six weeks ago, I was supposed to start the podcast. And for four to six weeks, I kind of sat around and I thought, well, this isn't quite perfect or that could be better or I really need to learn how to do that first. And then eventually, because I was, you know, three weeks past when I said I was going to start the podcast, I had to just start. And I learned some things along the way, and some things got easier, um, and you know, some things took a little bit of time to get right, and some things I'm still figuring out how to do, and some things I'm still figuring out how to get right, but the extra three or four or six weeks or whatever I hemmed and hawed and waited around for didn't make the podcast any better. It didn't help me out at all. It just gave me a month of being anxious about it. So if you're thinking about doing something and you have the time and you have the bandwidth and you have the desire, just start, you know, do something wrong, make a mistake, get uncomfortable. Uh, We talk about getting uncomfortable every week. It's one of the top values of the podcast. It's one of the things that we're always pushing. So if you have a project in mind, if you have a story in you or a song in you or a book in you or whatever it is, get working on it. Have some fun. You know, we only get a limited amount of time on this wet little rock in the middle of nowhere, so you might as well have fun with it. Uh, Variety. Variety is another one of the big principles of the podcast, you know, the big values of the podcast, something we talk about pretty much every week. I think after a year of doing this podcast, the only thing that I don't recommend variety with is sleep. You know, sleep's like the one place where you want to be as consistent as possible. And then when it comes to things like your diet, um, your thoughts, your media, your books, the way you play, the music you listen to, the activities you partake in, the way you move your body, uh, the way you challenge yourself, the way you learn, variety is key for all of these things. So the more variety you can have, it seems pretty obvious that the more healthy you're going to be in the majority of these categories. Um, So, you know, routines are good. Routines are helpful. Environments are important. You want to be curating your environment. You want to be intentional with your space. But at the end of the day, you got to shake things up. So get out there and have some variety. Uh, Also, kind of along that line, you got to have fun. 
Um, you know, whether it's making a podcast or, you know, doing some project or going to the gym or whatever it is. I mean, there's benefits to doing things you don't want to do. And there's benefits to doing things that are hard. And there's benefits to doing things that are uncomfortable. But the one thing we get to kind of choose is like our reaction to it, you know, not to completely rip off Viktor Frankl here, but like that's the thing that they can't really take away from you. So even when you're doing the hard things and you're doing the things you don't want to do, you can still find ways to have fun with it. Um, it's different for everyone. Obviously, situations are different. You know, family members get sick. Uh, bills become due. The clock runs out. Whatever it is, like there's going to be tough times and there's going to be rough times. But the quicker you can get back to having fun with it, the easier it's going to be. Um, so if you can figure out how to shift your perspective, if you can figure out how to make the daunting fun, how to make the hard fun, um, it, it makes it a lot more enjoyable. Um, get uncomfortable, like we said. Every week, that's how we've ended the podcast. Get out there, stretch your comfort zone. Um, you know, It reminds me of a great friend of mine, and she says every time that she starts to feel comfortable or she starts to feel like this is easy, she knows that she's not challenging herself. And if the opportunity or the uh, moment is right or appropriate, she uses that as a catalyst to get out there and start doing something different, to get uncomfortable and see where she could be growing. Um, you know, and then at the end of the day, do the things you want to do and do them the way you want to do them. Like people will find you. Your voice will resonate with someone. Um, we all have a unique voice. There's not so many unique ideas and concepts out there. There's not too many things on the podcast that is a total Tom Dickard original, you know. But I might say something in a way that resonates with you that if another podcaster or another person said the exact same thing, it might not resonate with that person. So there's diff just like there's different voices out there, there's different ears out there. And different ears need the right voice to hear things the way that they need to hear it. So... You know, do you, do it your way. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to conform to what other people are expecting. If you want to write poems about the Philadelphia Eagles, you write poems about the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, if you want to spend 15 minutes talking about all the neat things that the number 42 is associated with, well, it's your podcast. You go have some fun, my friend. Right on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... That's that's kind of my takeaways. I won't preach too much about the things I've learned, but it, as I've said a few times, the podcast is really like for me and how I'm growing in my process and my journey. There's going to be parts of it that help you. There's going to be parts of it that you're like another haiku. Um, just get out there, have some fun. Uh, what else is going on? So I'm continuing to start using this JumpSpeak app, which is essentially like an AI robot trying to teach me how to speak French. And at this point, I'm just going to keep trying things until I figure out how to speak French. It's been like over half my life I've been trying to learn how to speak this language. I'm going to figure it out. I think this is the year. And even if I don't, it's good for my brain to keep trying and failing and trying to learn new pathways and new ways of thinking. And I think that I'm starting to like understand a little bit more. So hang on. Stay tuned. Let's see what happens. In other news, something that I'm really excited about, I think I finally completed the triumvirate of an Amazon free book life. So stay tuned or stay with me now. But, and obviously, there's 
other ways that you can avoid Amazon in your book life. But um, we already knew about bookshop.org. If you need to order a book off the internet and you want it quicker, bookshop.org is a great alternative to buying from Amazon, you know, or obviously walking over to your local bookstore. I don't know how things are where you live. I might be bookstore spoiled here in Brooklyn and Queens. We have a lot of great local independent bookstores. Um, there's one in Bedside called Cafe Con Libros, which is a great bookstore, awesome people, awesome staff, uh, woman owned, person of color owned. It's a checks. It's just great. Everything about them. Yeah, they have a little cafe in there, which a lot of the bookstores double as cafes here in Brooklyn, uh, which is also lovely. You can get a coffee while you get your book, but they'll order books for you. So if there's a book you need and you have a week or two to get it, you can just reach out to them and they'll get the book for you. Um, or another great alternative, obviously, used bookstores like Topos here in Ridgewood, which I love. Also a coffee shop. <laughs> Noticing a theme here. But um, yeah, Topos is great. Uh, Molasses Books in Bushwick is awesome. There's tons of bookstores. Um, so you can obviously get books without going to Amazon most of the time. Uh, what I've been doing for eBooks is, up until recently, just using Kobo which is an alternative. It's also a big company. So, you know, it might be 10 years down the road and Kobo's taken over. And now we're talking about the ills of Kobo. But in the meantime, they're an alternative for eBooks and eBook readers uh, that are on par with Kindle and the Amazon library. So you don't need to get eBooks from them. Obviously, you can also get eBooks from the other corporate giants like Google and Apple, but it's probably better to try and find a smaller out outlet. So... You can obviously use Libby and Overdrive to borrow books from your local library, including ebooks, including audiobooks, um, which is a good option. And then I've recently found out um, so, what happens when a book or any piece of art or whatever it is has a like a hundred years that they're under copyright, right? So, when that ends, just like it recently did for Mickey, Mickey Mouse, it then becomes public domain, meaning anyone can use it. You don't need to pay a royalty, you don't need to do any of those things. So there is a website. It's called feedbooks.com. So F-E-E-D as in dog, B as in boy, O-O-K-S.com. Feedbooks.com, uh, not a sponsor. Uh, feedbooks.com is a collection of books that are already in the public domain. So you can just go and download that book. You can open it up in your e-reader. You can open it up on your tablet. Uh, you're reading free e-books, uh, all the classics, very excited about that. Um, and then I finally found an alternative to Audible. So most of you know what Audible is. You pay 15 bucks a month. You get a credit for a book each month, blah, 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 blah. I found another company that does the exact same thing. It's called Libro.fm. So L-I-B as in boy, R-O dot F-M, Frank, Mary, F-M. So Libro.fm, where for 15 bucks a month, you get a credit for an audio book. And discounts on buying new ones or other additional ones. So just like Audible, but your 15 bucks a month isn't going to Amazon. Ta-da! And there we have it. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Amazon has already won. But I like taking little small stands like this. You know, this can be good for your mental well-being. It can be good for the way you kind of picture yourself. Uh, it's nice to do things that are in line with your morals and yada, yada, yada. And at the end of the day, it's just a little small thumb in the eye to Jeff Bezos and the other billionaires. All right. So speaking of that, I just ordered a few books, a few more books from uh, the Painted Porch Bookstore, which is 
um, oh, what's his name? It's, uh, Ryan Holiday's bookstore down in Texas. Um, obviously, he's a bit of both worlds because he is super successful, but he's also a really cool dude. We talk about his books here on the podcast all the time. You know, Obstacle is the Way, Stillness, uh, you know, all the all the fun stoic topics that we like to read about. Ryan Holiday has his own physical bookstore down in Texas. I look forward to visiting it one day. Uh, but in the meantime, I got a ton of books to read because it's basically the end of football season. And now that football season's over, it's book season. So you stay tuned. You'll be getting a lot more book reports like you were a year ago when I started the podcast. But enough about me, enough about the podcast, um, or at least enough about my book obsession. Um, it's also fasting season, so I've been playing around with fasting a lot. Fasting was one of the first episodes of the podcast, um, and yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with that. Obviously, we're doing our health challenge in the office. I'm way behind. I'm going to end up winning the health challenge, but it's going to be a month too late. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm having fun getting into the flow and getting to dialing in my diet and playing around with some different ways of fasting. So yesterday during the day, I didn't have more than 150 calories, and the only calories I had were from bone broth and electrolytes. So for me, that counts as fasting. It's not like nothing went in my body, but that kept me in ketosis. It keeps me, uh, it keeps my body in a state that eventually gets around to burning fat. Um, so yeah, so I only had about 150 calories during the day. Then at the end of the day. Uh, the partner wanted to get some Mediterranean food. So I was like, yeah, let's get some food. So I probably had a dinner that was maybe 750 to 1,000 calories. But at the end of the day, that means I'm still 1,200 calories or less. Uh, yeah, which is way below the goal for the day anyway. But again, and if you go back and listen to the calorie cycling episode, kind of the process is to confuse your body you know have moments where you're not feeding it so that it starts to eat its reserves but then also give it food so it doesn't think that you're starving and go into panic mode and start trying to save all the fat that it can so stay tuned i'm sure i'll have more to talk about this in a couple weeks when i've really dialed it in but that's kind of what i'm at right now um yeah and then i also got the blood work results from life force 80% 80% of it's great where I want it to be. 20% of it are things that I can tweak and work on over the next three months before the next blood draw. Uh, so stay tuned. We're going to totally talk about that. The inner chemistry is going to be like one of the main focuses of 2024. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited to see how we can play with the machine and get things to change in ways that we want them to. Um, but moving on. This week... We've got an interview for you. We're celebrating our one-year anniversary by speaking with a total health warrior, uh, a woman named Carolyn Marenghi. So Carolyn Marenghi is a health coach, yoga teacher, personal trainer, nutritional guru, wellness badass, entrepreneur, and all-around really nice human. Uh, So join us this week as we sit down to talk with Carolyn. We're going to learn about her story, learn about the business that she started, how she's helping to change people's lives across the country. Um, Yeah, and I think it was a pretty fun interview. So give it a listen. Reach out to me on social. Uh, The website, the new and improved website will be ready in the next two weeks. That's going to have all of my contact information. In the meantime, you can find all of Carolyn's information at her website, uh, her social, her contact info, how to work with her, what she does at BeWellWithCarolyn.com. So that is BeWell, the letter W, like with, and Carolyn, which is C-A-R-O-L-Y-N. So BeWellWCarolyn.com. 
check her out. Have a great day. Love and appreciate you. And remember to get out there and get uncomfortable once you've listened to the interview. Love you. Welcome to another episode of the Total Dream Life Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Thomas Dicker. I'm a chiropractor, meditation teacher, entrepreneur, and lover of life, and I'm excited to have you join me for this week's episode. All right. Hello and welcome. I'm here with Carolyn Marenghi, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about you, what you're doing, what your business is. Uh, and how you keep healthy, and also like what you do to keep and help influence the health of your community. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little background. Okay, hi, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've actually been seeing Dr. Tom for a few months now in his um, practice as a chiropractor, and I'm feeling lots of relief. Um, So I am a former classroom teacher. I was a high school teacher for about eight years. And I have always been a caregiver. I was a babysitter, I was a nanny, then I became a teacher. Um, And somewhere along the way, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And I went through lots of hoops with the medical community, traditional medical community, and I just realized that they weren't necessarily equipped to help me in the natural way that I wanted to be helped. They wanted to put me on a pharmaceutical, and I was only 26 years old, and that's not what I wanted. So I went down a lot of rabbit holes and I healed myself with food. I completely, not that my diet was um, full of processed foods, but it was, you know, things that you think on the surface are healthy. Um, And so I completely changed my diet. I healed myself, all the inflammation that I had in my gut and in my esophagus. And from there, I decided that I kind of wanted to shift into helping other people because I knew how hard it was for me, a really determined person. So I knew that if other people, didn't have that determination, then they might be really um, left frustrated. So I became certified as a nutritional therapy practitioner um, with the Nutritional Therapy Association. And at the same time, I also became certified as a yoga instructor because that was a practice that was really helping me manage the stress of my diagnosis. Um, And then I also loved weightlifting. So I decided after that to also become a personal trainer um, to kind of like explore that world because I know that along with yoga you need the physical strength Um, so yeah it was kind of like the food the movement um, and then having the classroom teaching that I knew that I would be able to coach people with their health um, journey cool so you went from being one part one type of teacher to a different type of teacher yeah Um, so I know that there was an event that happened that kind of got you away from teaching and you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about it on your website, mm-hmm. but let's flash back to 2020. The, pandem- the pandemic happens, which I'm sure was super stressful mm-hmm. as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, they kind of came out with a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell me a little bit about what your circumstances were at the time when that happened. Right. So because I had already had not such a great experience with um, Western medicine and then had learned all of this education about um, different products and how to keep yourself healthy, I knew that when um, the COVID vaccine came out that I had done so much to protect my health and how fragile health is. And I just didn't feel like that was necessary for me personally as somebody who really takes care of myself. 
And I also didn't feel like it was justified for my employer to force me to get something that there was no liability from the producers of the vaccine if I had suffered from a vaccine injury, um, which many people did suffer from. And I just didn't feel like the system that I had been working for, the New York City public school system, I just didn't feel like the integrity was there for that they had the best interests of their students and their teachers in mind. And I just knew that that wasn't something that I was going to subject myself to. So yeah, I actually wound up having to resign from my tenure teaching position that I had like gone to school for so many years in order to get and to be in that position. Um, and so that was really hard because I was the only teacher in my school that decided to leave because of that. And the day before I left, my principal sent out an email blast to the entire student body and parents saying that I was leaving because I was refusing to take this experimental drug. And so that was also just like really hard, but I felt through that, standing up for like what I believed in and my health, just like solidified that I actually really wanna be in this industry or this world. Nice. Yeah, I found that out for the first time when I was looking through your website, uh, which I thought was a really great website. And it just struck me because it's like, I know lots of people obviously being in like the alternative health world who have different levels of suspicion and different levels of hesitancy when it comes to uh, mainstream pharmacology and mainstream pharmaceutical companies. But to see somebody take such a stand like that was really impressive and really cool. And it's not something I knew about you. Like I knew just from interacting with you that you were strong and determined and focused, but it was really cool to see that. Um, were you always so strong and determined when you were growing up or is this something you've kind of developed over the years? No. <laughs> I've always been like that um, and my parents are saints and I think like for them they were always kind of like unsure of like what to do with me because I always would kind of just be like no I'm not doing that or like I don't care like what these people think or anything like that so that's I've always like it never bothered me if I did, wasn't doing what like everybody else was doing um, so that part I think like when I did decide to resign from my job like my parents are such a big part of my life and they um, maybe didn't necessarily agree, but they were supportive because they kind of knew that I always was like that. That's really cool. And it's cool <laughs> having people in your life that support you. So, I mean, obviously with the autoimmune diagnosis, how old were you when you got diagnosed with that? So I was 26 when I was diagnosed with that, but it was actually something that I had been living with my whole entire life. Gotcha. Um, I, it was called, it's called eosinophilic esophagitis. Essentially, my esophagus was swelling shut due to chronic inflammation and scar tissue. Um, I think that happened. I developed that because I, my speculation is because I was born of a C-section and I did not breastfeed because I couldn't handle breast milk. And I think that's because the C-section births are very sterile. And so I was unable to handle the breast milk. It was irritating to me. And so I didn't, I wasn't exposed to all these really necessary, um, good bacteria and microbes. And so I think that my, um, digestive system and my microbiome was weak. Yeah. I mean, I talk about that a lot in practice. Obviously I have a big focus on pediatrics and uh, pregnant women and young children. And one of the things that happens when you're a C-section baby is you don't get that kind of pump primed of going through the birth canal and getting that big squeeze and getting all of the uh, juices and uh, side effects. And like you're coming out of a very um, 
busy place, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of bacteria, there's a lot of different things going on, and it's this big jump start for the immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. So growing up, you were dealing with this. Uh, did, was it getting worse as you got older? Yeah, so growing up, I would not always, but frequently choke on food. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, I mean, I thought that like maybe I wasn't chewing enough and then I could never swallow pills. Um, like Heimlich Maneuver has been done on me like many times, like that feeling of choking is terrifying. And then probably like early 20s, I started getting like really, really terrible heartburn to the point like in the middle of the night, I would wake up with this pain in my back where like, I don't know what a heart attack feels like, but I think that like, that's kind of what this felt like. And so then that was happening and I kind of was just like taking Tums, which is terrible because you're suppressing the stomach acid, which you need to digest food and absorb nutrients. And then my dentist was like, hey, you're starting the, your back molars are starting to erode because of your acid reflux. Mm-hmm. Then I had an endoscopy and they couldn't get the scope down because there was so much inflammation in my esophagus that they had to use a scope that they use on infants. Okay. And a regular scope is only the width of a straw. So that's how much swelling there was. And then I had like 16 endoscopies over four years. I went on a really strict elimination diet. I had an esophageal dilation, so they stretched my esophagus open. So that's why after all that, and I had to find a specialist for this disease. There was like only a few in New York City at the time. So once I had made so much progress with that, thinking about taking the vaccine was like, I can't put my health in jeopardy after all this work that I've done. Totally, totally. So as far as like the diagnoses and the treatments and the whatever they were offering you at the time, was there like a moment where you were just like, F this, like, I'm going to go figure this out? Or was that something that kind of accumulated over time with other stuff that you were doing? Yeah, so I think that Western medicine is great when, like, I needed the endoscopies. Like, that was great. And my doctor was... She's amazing. Like she would spend so much time with me going through everything that I ate. Um, and then I had to take this a proton pump inhibitor to kind of deal with some of the inflammation that was happening acutely just to try to clear out the eosinophils, which are white, um, white cells in my esophagus. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, oh, well, the proton pump inhibitor like cleared, helped you. Like you can just now take these. And I was like, well, I'm taking like 90 milligrams of these. And the side effects is like brittle bones. Like it's so much for your kidneys to process. And she couldn't understand why I was like, no, I want to do the elimination diet. I don't just want to like mask it with this pill. She supported my decision, but she was just like, I don't know why you want to do all this work if you could just take this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I also agree. Like, there's totally a place for all different approaches, and there's definitely a place for Western medicine, and it saves and helps and really, like, does great in the world. But I'm also obviously a big fan of natural and alternative Mm -hmm. approaches. So you started off with an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things you started uh, seeing when you started cutting out foods? It was really hard because I think I did the, it's like called the big six or the big eight. Um, I cut out not, I don't eat seafood for my own personal preferences. I cut, so I wasn't eating seafood, nuts, dairy, gluten, soy. And then I cut out, I stopped eating meat because I thought like maybe that could have something to do with something. So I was basically vegan, soy free and gluten free. So I was literally just eating like roasted vegetables and tortilla chips. That was like my snack. Um, and the heartburn went away like pretty quickly, which was amazing. Oh, another big thing that really caused me to take action initially 
like I was like okay I'll deal with the heartburn forever but my hair like I lost so much hair and so I don't know the aesthetic like selfish part vain part was like I need to figure this out now so I've noticed that the heartburn went away once I started the elimination diet my hair stopped falling out um so that was like really encouraging I was starving because I work out a lot um and so it was really hard to like not lose a lot of weight with the amount that I was trying to exercise and do yoga and be on this elimination diet um but once I decide to do something like I never go back on it so I don't know I just stuck with it for years <laughs> that's a that's a pretty powerful like mutant power to have <laughs> So that's very cool. Um, I also spend far too much time thinking about my hair, so I can yeah. appreciate that as well. Um, so once you kind of got it under control with the diet and you started adding, I'm assuming you started adding some things mm -hmm. back in. Uh, you're not currently a vegan who right. eats just tortilla chips, correct? Right. Yeah. So you so you eliminate everything and then you have to do an endoscopy. That's why I took the, pro the prescription pill was to make sure that all of the inflammation would be removed. And then you have to get an endoscopy. Once everything looked clear, then I would add one food in. I would eat that one food. So say I would start eating dairy, I would eat that for probably like eight to 12 weeks, and then I would get an endoscopy. Mm -hmm. And then if there were no eosinophils present, then I would add another food. Okay. Um, so actually dairy was the last one that I added because my doctor told me that's like the most common one. And because I was unable to handle my mother's breast milk, that it was likely the culprit. She just wanted to make sure that there wasn't something along with the dairy. So we saved the dairy to the end and it wound up being the dairy. But the thing is, is that I eat dairy now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that like everybody can 100% heal themselves by changing their diet. But I think a lot of it was taking out the seed oils, taking out like hidden gums, all those things that are in foods that you don't even realize. And then my gut, you know, healing the gut lining, drinking lots of bone broth. And then now I can eat dairy and I have no heartburn no problems and it's nice. been like a few years um yeah the seed oils are wild I did an episode about seed oils a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. and it's just like it's everywhere it's everywhere and like to try and eat outside of your own home like we were just talking about before the podcast is like ironically the places that have like the least seed oil kind of regularly are pizza places mm. Because pizza places all brag like about their ingredients mm -hmm. and like using like the freshest cheese and the freshest tomatoes and the freshest wheat. So like they're a place. I mean, obviously they have a deep fryer, so they definitely use seed oils in some things. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're ordering mozzarella sticks, you're expecting there to be right. seed oil yeah. in your life. I keep trying to find potato chips that aren't fried in seed oil. Mm -hmm. I haven't found them yet. Yeah, it's hard too because like there's so many restaurants here in Williamsburg, and like when I'm walking around and they have their garbage out, you see. Like, restaurants, some of them are like, oh, my God, this is the hardest restaurant to get into, and they have, like, the best of everything. And I know they're doing it because of their bottom line, too, but you see, like, the big box of canola oil outside. So right. it's like, oh, my God, yeah. All right, so you're at a point, you've kind of gotten the diet under control, and now you're seeing changes in your body. Um, you've brought back some food, but you didn't start back with dairy right away. You brought dairy back in later. Dairy was the last thing that I brought in, so I was probably doing the elimination diet for... I don't know, three years before I brought dairy back in mm -hmm. because, I mean, that doctor, her availability, she was, like, so booked. So then I would have to wait, like, 12 weeks for the endoscopy, but then I would also have to wait a few weeks for the follow-up. So, like, that whole process of eliminating eight major food groups with dairy being the last one introduced took a very long time. Right, because it's a month of elimination, and then you still have to wait to get an appointment and right. things like that. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. So then at this point, what are you doing exercise-wise? 
exercise wise i do lots of resistance training probably like four times a week mm -hmm. um two days like general upper body two days lower body nice. um sometimes i have the cardio day thrown in there with the sauna just for like recovery and then i do a lot of yoga um vinyasa so like the yang more active yoga but also i love yin yoga because i think it's just like really restorative and meditative and then recently getting more into kundalini okay yeah kundalini is really cool yeah i love yin yoga um so when you were teaching before you decided to leave were you already thinking about like maybe transitioning to doing other stuff or coaching people or teaching people outside of what you were doing or was that a total pivot that you made once you decided hey i'm not going to be a teacher anymore so originally what I wanted to do was kind of like a combined wellness program for high school students because I was seeing kids, I mean, especially in New York City because kids are like commuting, you know, walking to school and they're walking past a million bodegas at corner stores and they can just buy whatever they want on their way to school. You don't see that in the suburbs as much. Um, but I was just seeing what kids were eating and I was seeing how exhausted they were and how it was such a barrier for them when they came to learning that I actually wanted to create like a wellness program for high school students. But I think you have to find some students who are really um, aware and committed. And it's just hard. It's hard when you're a teenager, you're not like the health issues haven't happened yet. Like your metabolism is faster. So I just like found a lot of barriers there. Um, and so I kind of wanted to shift to working more with women um, because women, I just know so many of my friends who are struggle with like hormonal issues not only reproductive menstruation but also sleeping stressful digestion especially um so that's kind of now what, what i'm targeting women nice yeah. it's funny you were saying that because like on the way here i was on the subway and at like the stop before your stop school got out mm -hmm. and like a bunch of little teenagers roll in and like who's got skin conditions going on who's eating a bag of gummy worms who's like asleep in the corner mm -hmm. and it's just so wild to see because like like you said they have such access to this food and mm -hmm. kids have no real training mm -hmm. when it comes to how food affects them or you know what it does to their bodies or their growth mm -hmm. but now like you said you're focused primarily on women correct correct uh age group certain yeah i say millennial women but i'm open to gen z i, I won't discriminate um i'm really targeting like late 20s to early 40s all right and what is your approach like say someone comes in and they want to start working with you i assume they find you online yeah so right now i'm working with women online um i'm also training and teaching yoga at a gym so i have clients coming to me that way and then i also have lots of my own personal friends that i've helped so my referral network is starting to grow that way all right cool so somebody finds you online or somebody gets referred to you and they reach out to you what does it look like when you start working together yeah so i have a two-part process that i bring people through my first part is really um working on setting up systems in people's lives so there's this whole field of executive functioning um which is kind of just the skills of like organizing and time managing time management and prioritization and so that is something that's taught in school in terms of academics but what i find with people is when they try to implement like lifestyle changes if they don't if they're not stick if they're not chunking their time so that they have these bigger windows, say on the weekends, to dedicate to the meal prepping, then it's really hard to stay committed to a diet during the week. So what I try, what I do with people in the beginning is I do it like, like a very in-depth health assessment, but then also start creating systems in their lives 
so that they feel like these changes will have a place as opposed to them being on the back burner and then people not feeling success. And so once we set up those systems, I like do a whole calendaring calendaring system with people. Um, Then we take a look at sleep, diet, movement, and then more subtle um, practices like um, you know, different types of baths or like aromatherapy or journaling or just like the more subtle things. So those different phases, they don't happen all at once. I think usually like three recommendations at a time is good for someone to start implementing. So the executive functioning piece, the sleep, the diet, the movement, that probably phases in over like four to six weeks. Um, and then once people kind of have a basis with that, Then the next part that's like really exciting that I like to bring people through is like thinking about now that they've made um, concrete changes in like their physical well-being, like what are the other areas of their life that now can open up because their physical body is functioning in a way that they've like really wanted to because now that they have more energy, they're more well, well rested like okay, so you maybe are like unhappy in your job, but like you've been too tired to like think about the application process or you're like, you're feeling really run down when you get home from work. But now that your physical health is functioning better, like the, those bigger aspects of your life can now become addressed because physically you're doing better. Right, that's really cool. So you're kind of like getting them to look at their, like their environment and their day-to-day life and mm-hmm. seeing where they can make space and find space to kind of make this automatic and make it less of like a willpower thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, like, is there one thing, like what's the m- biggest thing that you kind of find with people? Like what's the number one hurdle that most people uh, are coming in with or is it different for everyone? I, mean, I think I, it's time. Yeah. Yeah, I think for people it's time and I think that like, that's why like the executive functioning piece of like having tasks like piggyback off one another to make things like easier so that you can be more efficient with your time like for example like at night before before you go to bed like the bedtime routine is all about winding down but like it could also be about like starting the next day so like I always have like I use a french press for my coffee like the coffee is in the french press the water is in like the hot water heater so like when I get up it's not like another step that I have to do it's like smooth I go in the bathroom, I brush my teeth, I wash my face, when that's done, the water's ready. So it's like saving time in these small ways. And like for people, I think a lot of times all the steps get overwhelming, but figuring out how to smooth that out so that it becomes second nature and then you're able to have more like mental energy to do to achieve the higher things in your life that you want. That's really cool. What is your relationship personally like with screens and with social media? So I was off Instagram for like nine months and I just got back on it because now I'm using it um, for business purposes. Um, So as a former teacher, high school teacher, um, I read a lot of books on focus and attention. And so I know like all people get like down on themselves because they're spending all this time scrolling, but like there are some of the smartest people probably like in the world working at these companies trying to figure out how to keep your attention. So like, I don't think it's a reflection of people that are like, you know, weak and like it's giving you all these short term benefits of like these dopamine hits. So like, I think people have to realize that like this tool was created this way to keep you there. But the, the way that I, um, restrain myself is thinking about like my attention is being profited on 
and like my attention is so valuable that like I don't want my attention to be used for like advertising gains for like major tech companies so of course I'm on it and I use it but like that thought always comes back to me and that's kind of like how I separate myself at night like we do we make dinner we've really been trying my boyfriend and I have really been trying not to eat with the TV on that's been like a new thing for us because we just taste the food so much more and it's just like we put so much work into cooking we do watch TV at night like I think that that's totally fine and normal like it's great to veg out um, but I really like the phone is always on airplane mode when I go to sleep so that's not really like getting in the way of my sleep sleep nice. is so precious so I definitely resonate with what you're talking about with the business side of it because you need so well I don't know if you need but the the majority of people that are running a business are using social media. Like we're at the point now where we find patients through Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like if, I, and if I don't have social media, like if someone's looking for a chiropractor and they go, they're looking at three people's listing on Google and two of them have a website and a social media and a YouTube channel and a podcast and all this. And then I'm just sitting there with like, hi, my name, mm -hmm. like they're going to go to one of the other people. hundred percent. Um, so like, as someone who's currently struggling with this, how do you find balance between personal social media and uh, professional social media? Mm -hmm. Because like outside of creating two completely, having the app in my phone in like two different places, like I can't sign into my social without being also signed into my personal social, mm -hmm. you know? And as soon as you're in there, they're trying to grab your attention and distract you and get attention right it's really hard i've kind of just like m morphed my personal instagram into now being like my business instagram yeah. I've, I've thought about that as well yeah um yeah it's interesting because it is a challenge like the only thing i've really had success with as far as social media personal use wise is like setting up check boxes that need to be completed before mm -hmm. i can go to social media mm -hmm. like i've made a big change by being like in the morning when I get up and I'm doing my coffee and like getting ready for the day, like I'm not allowed to look at social media until I've journaled mm -hmm. because I find that if I journal first, it gets me in the right headspace. It gets me thinking about my day. It helps me organize the day before and like kind of, um, you know, get off in a better direction. But like, if I don't do that, if I just go in and start looking at social media right away, like you said, there's a huge dopamine hit to start your day. So that throws everything off. And then it just sends the rest of the day into disarray. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. For me in the morning, it's reading. So I, get, I don't look at my phone either. And I get up really early. I get up at like five. So it's dark out. And I just think that like the light from the screen at that time is disorienting. And then I just, I don't know. I feel like it kind of gives me tunnel vision. Yeah. Like your attention has already been so fragmented. You already scrolled through so many different things that like, it's harder to gain that deep focus again afterwards. Right. I find it very similar to like, if I wake up in the morning and I have a very protein heavy breakfast, mm -hmm. it's going to affect what I eat for the rest of the day. I'm going to end up eating less calories and I'm going to make better choices. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I got up and had a big carb breakfast or you know, a lot of carbon fat, then all of a sudden I'm setting myself up on this roller coaster mm -hmm. um, and these kind of dizzying highs and sickening lows throughout the day. Mm -hmm. um, what other... Air, like, so, like, you're getting up at 5 in the morning. Mm -hmm. What time are you going to bed? 9. 9. Okay. <laughs> is, are you naturally, like, a person who can go to bed at 9 o'clock, or is that something you had to train yourself in? I've been, I would started that when I started teaching, because in high school, you have to get there so early. I like to work out before work. 
um, because as a teacher, you're on your feet and you're, you're using so much energy, like speaking all day, making so many decisions, going back and forth with people who are unhappy with what you want them to do. <laughs> so exercising after work, it was just like, that's never going to happen. So I have to get up at this time and I, ha- I need eight hours of sleep at least. So I have to go to bed at that time. And once I decided, I never went back on it. Right. I can relate to that. Like obviously practice is emotionally draining. You're interacting with right. a lot of people and like you kind of have to help support them through the day. So like I know that anything that I need to get done has to happen in the morning. Mm-hmm. Cause if I'm like, Oh, I'll go home and bang out a workout. That's yeah. like, I might also see a unicorn on the way home. Right. Like, exactly. Who's to say, yeah. um, so what does your morning routine look like then mm-hmm. you get up, it's 5 AM. The grounds are in the French press. Mm-hmm. The toothpaste is ready to go. <laughs> what do you do? You make your coffee and then what? Yeah. Coffee and electrolytes. Um, and then I read for probably about 45 minutes and then I make my way to the gym and that's like four times a week. And then now the, the off morning, morning, mornings, um, I'll start working on work. Um, and if not, I'm also teaching, well, I go to the gym, I lift, and then sometimes I teach yoga or I teach an early morning yoga class on the weekends as well. All right. So what are you reading in the morning? So I have a problem. I I don't have a shopping, a clothes shopping problem. I have a book buying problem Same. because every time, I mean, I'm sure for you too, whenever I'm reading a book, then that book mentions another book and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, now I have to get that book. And so <laughs> um, right now I'm reading a book about the 528 Hertz frequency, mm-hmm. um, which is actually the frequency that plants emit and it's um like a really healing frequency for healing dna and other like tissue repair and it's just really calming for the body um so now i'm reading about music and its effect on the body amazing so is that one of the reasons that your phone's on airplane mode so you're not getting more kind of frequencies in the room while you're sleeping or is it strictly just to cut off communication no it's for the frequencies because we unplug our router every single night too i mean i don't know it might be like fruitless because in new york city you're getting bombarded i can see 5g towers from our window over there um but we do unplug our router every night and the phone is on airplane mode because of the frequencies i unplug we don't I only use the microwave sometimes to reheat like my coffee, which is kind of bad, but we don't reheat food in the microwave and it's always unplugged if we're not using it. I'm into it. And I think that people don't think enough about frequencies, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, and with all the different like 5G, 2G, 3G, like 3G is still there. They didn't take away this frequency and we're just completely bombarded by it. So like, that's pretty interesting and that's cool that you do that. So you get up, you work, and then you're working on work. You're working on, you're doing, when you coach, is it group coaching? Is it individual coaching? Is it both? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so it's all individual coaching and I, mm, my clients, I meet with them twice a week. So it's a combined total of 75 minutes. But like, I find that meeting with somebody once a week when they're trying to like change their schedule and implement lifestyle changes that once a week is not enough. Um, so I'm offering up to 75 minutes. Some people are like, you know, I can only do an hour a week. And so I'll do, I'm seeing people on either a Monday, Thursday schedule or a Tuesday, Friday schedule. Um, so that's because like, I feel like things can happen during the week and people like need, uh, need that wraparound support. And then like, say something happened during the week, the next time I see with them later, the following week, they might like have forgotten about it or it's not a big deal as it was when it happened. 
So I meet with people twice a week, one-on-one, so that they are more successful in implementing the changes that we discussed. Or if the changes aren't working for them, then like modifying those changes for something that's better. Okay. So when you're meeting someone and you're working with them and getting started, like what's kind of the approach nutritionally? So I'll have people, my clients complete a five day food and mood journal so that I can see what they're eating because Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like hard to remember too, um, what you ate. And I also have people record like how they feel after they ate the thing that they felt. And it's also, they're also recording about their digestion, their hydration and their movement. Um, so then after they submit that to me, then I'm able to see really like what is the, um, macronutrient kind of profile. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot the word. Um, and I, what I find is that a lot of people, uh, women, um, who are having like blood sugar issues. So they're like unable to fall asleep at night or they're like feeling with chronic, feeling chronic stress or their cycles irregular, or they're experiencing like spotting, throughout their cycle it's because their diet is carb heavy and like i'm not here to demonize carbs at all um but when i say carbs i don't just mean like french fries i also mean like vegetables are carbs so um women tend to eat very low fat and sometimes low protein diets so then their bodies are unable to regulate the spike in their blood sugar when they are eating the carbohydrates or they're waking up in the morning and they're having coffee on an empty stomach um, so really trying to even out that ratio of their macronutrient intake. Nice. Do you have like a ratio for the three like carbs, protein and fat? Like, do you have a ratio that's kind of like your go to or like what's your approach when it comes to that? Yeah, um, I would say like between 35 and 40 percent carbohydrate um, and then probably like 25 to 30% fat, and then similarly for protein. Like, it's not hard and set for everyone. It depends right. on, like, how depends they're on goals, moving. Depends on what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I just find that, like, what the what's um, published by the government, what they recommend, is much higher. Carbohydrate is, like, 65%, and I right. just don't think that that's, like, long-term supportive. I mean, we can call them out. What's published by the government <laughs> is published by the corporations that fund the government yeah, and exactly. what products they make. Like, I don't think that's going to be the biggest news to anyone, but I also don't... Uh, we, we don't need to pick any fights with them. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. So, like, do you have any uh, opinion as far as, like, how or, like, the order or the ways that they approach? Like, I was saying before, like, I like to start off protein early mm-hmm. and kind of, like, I do my carbs later in the day. Yeah. Um, or later in the meal, even. Like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think as well, I think when people are able to eat those higher nutritionally dense foods in the morning, then also later on in the evening, they're not struggling with like feeling too full. I mean, people should really try and be eating their last meal like two hours before they go to bed so that they're not, their sleep's not being disrupted. Um, But yeah, I definitely think that proteins and some fats in the morning um, will help people feel fuller for longer and then they're not having that mid-morning crash where they feel like they need to have like another cup of coffee which then is then setting them off in the afternoon and they want a snack because they're feeling jittery and they need another pick-me-up. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Alright, so like tell me a bit about your training. Like you did nutritional training. Where did you do that? Yeah, I did that with the Nutritional Therapy Association. They're amazing. Um, It was a 10-month online course, and it's, like, incredibly science-heavy. They kind of base all of their teachings off the Weston A. Price Foundation. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with them? No, tell me about it. Oh, you have to look into them. So Weston Price was a dentist. 
um, in the 30s, I believe. Yeah. And he was traveling around the world, and he noticed that child, that people in indigenous societies, like in you know Peru or uh, tribal societies or in Africa, that their jaws could fit all of their teeth. And he didn't understand why people in westernized countries needed to get their teeth pulled. And basically what he found was that um, people in western countries are essentially like deficient in so many nutrients so that their jaws weren't developing fully and that's why they needed to have their teeth removed. So he kind of did a deep dive into how these people were eating. And so it's all about like, you know, head to nose to tail animal products. I'm not there yet fully. Um, but yeah, just like an emphasis on like eating things the way that they are naturally butter, lard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah, the Nutritional Therapy Association, most of their teachings is based off of his research. I love that. Cause a lot of times like in chiropractic school, we actually have a lot of nutritional teaching, but a lot of the nutritional teaching is more kind of like almost like a reactive nutrition or like, a, oh, you have this condition, eat this, or your lungs are sore, do this. Like, it's not so much like a whole food nutrition or like a supporting your lifestyle nutrition. I mean, there is that as well. Chiropractors are very much into that, but like, it sounds like that approach is a little bit less like prescription mm -hmm. and a little bit more like lifestyle. Is that, mm -hmm. is that about right? Yeah, 100%. Cool. Just tons of bone broth, love bone broth. Love bone broth. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there a bone broth brand, a bone broth brand that you are like into? Um, we're actually so lucky because we live three block blocks from the most incredible butcher ever. So we get our bone broth from them. Um, and that's the meat hook. That's the meat hook. Right. Shout out to the meat hook. Shout out to the meat we hook. We love them. <laughs> um, so that's great. It's like full of gelatin. It's like quasi solid. Um, but before I was getting bone broth from them, I was getting it from Bonafide Provisions. Okay. Um, and they mail it to you with like dry ice, so mm -hmm. it's coming frozen. So it has all that gelatin in yeah. it. Um, because sometimes I see like bone broth on the shelf, but it's basically I don't know why it's bone broth. It's just broth if it doesn't have. Right. If it doesn't have gelatin and bits yeah. in it. Mm -hmm. One time I was trying to make my own bone broth, uh -huh. like on the stove, of course, I, for whatever reason, didn't have a slow cooker at the time. And uh, so I was just like simmering it for like 24 hours, basically. Mm -hmm. Long story short, it eventually turned into jello. Like it was almost like mm -hmm. you were eating it, not drinking it. Mm -hmm. And then when the gas bill came at the end of the month, it was like $400 instead of $50. <laughs> and my roommates were all like, what the fork happened? <laughs> it was just like, I don't know, that's weird. So... <laughs> It's for the liquid gold, yeah. I tried making it a few times, but which is great. But I'm like, I could just buy it. Right. It, and it's also, like you said, because like, one of the things you've talked about a few times in this is time. Mm -hmm, right. Like, it's great that I can make my own bone broth. It's great that I can like do these different things. But if I'm not getting like a therapeutic benefit or like mm -hmm. an emotional benefit mm -hmm. or like, oh, this is a hobby mm -hmm. of mine or like something that like gives me joy, mm -hmm. I'd say it's probably better to find people that can do those things for you, right? Exactly. I also like... I want to really get into, again, fermenting, but yeah. it gets, like, a little stressful because, like, the AF, the oxygen, I have, like, the, the toppers that go on top of the brine, but yeah. um, I want to get better with that, but, yeah. I do a lot of sauerkraut, okay. so I have the lids that have the little gasket that yeah. let the gas out, and I was just thinking today, like, I need to make some. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about living in New York City is we have all these old buildings with radiators, mm -hmm. so even though it's cold outside it's still the perfect temperature in my apartment. Like, mm -hmm. I can year-round just be making sauerkraut. Mm -hmm. Have you fermented other things besides? Like, what do you like to ferment? Um, we fermented 
Beats. Okay. Um, and honestly, I think it just, it stopped, it stopped there. All right. When you fermented the beets, were they mushy or were they like crisp? Because no, they were, they were crisp. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ferment more foods. That seems like fun. Yeah. All right. Cool. So anything else going on? Anything that we haven't really like talked about or anything that you want to make sure that people are aware of that you kind of do as a service or things like that? Um, I just think that for people, not necessarily, I mean, I help people determine what this is for themselves, but I just think that, like, it's really important for people to try new things, like, maybe not necessarily, like, only related to health, but, like, I actually listened to one of your episodes on neuroplasticity and, like, this idea that, um, your brain can constantly be growing and developing in terms of, like, what it's able to do and try new things and just putting yourself in in new situations so that like you are continuing to learn and grow as a person I think is really just important for well-being and just like resiliency and like confidence um and just not getting stuck and stagnant which will kind of just trickle down to other areas of your life so just encourage people to try new things that variety is big I think variety is one of the words I've said on every episode of the podcast so that's really cool um, so how do people find you? Yeah, so people can go to my website. It's www.bewellwcarolyn.com. So it's like Be Well With Carolyn, but the with is just a W. Um, and then that's also my Instagram handle. Okay. Um, and then I will be starting a podcast as well, um, the Curious Soul Podcast. So that's cool. coming soon, and it will be covering like consciousness, health, wellness, I love history, spiritual history, Um, so it'll be all the things. That's exciting. So, like, give me an example of something from spiritual history or, like, that, like, is interesting to you or something that you've studied. Um, I just read, there's a name for a book. There are names for books that are academic. It's not an encyclopedia. It's something else. This book is, like, 700 pages long. With It's called The The Cosmic Mother. Um, But basically it's all about how pre-monotheism the religion of societies was basically the religion of nature or not yeah, religion yeah. but like belief in nature because na- like obviously the natural world governed everything that people did um so something from that book that i think is like really incredible is that um women were actually keeping track of time via their menstrual cycles because of the alignment with the moon which yeah yeah i think is like so um removed for us because women at that time you know bled so regularly and people believe that actually when they got their periods was when the moon was dark Mm -hmm. um so it's like this whole version of like death and rebirth and just like which is also represented in um the seasons like the darkness of like winter and then the rebirth of the moon is like the rebirth of spring and so um i think that like that whole connection of like women's cycles with seasonal cycles and the cycles of the cosmos is just like so beautiful i love that and like that really resonates with me because a lot of times we think about past civilizations and past societies and we think like oh how they interacted with like the plants and the animals in their environment or the ocean or the mountain but like they also had a very deep interaction with the cosmos Mm -hmm. and like you know studied it and charted it and kept track of it and we've lost so much of that Mm -hmm. you know and i feel like i don't know do you feel like we're getting like we're making progress as people or do you feel like we're just completely off the rails? Because I feel like I'll let you go first, and then I think like I think when people think about progress, they think about like technological innovations, and so I guess in terms of that sense, like we have t- 
technology in ways that we've never had before but I also think that like so many people now I mean especially in like Brooklyn so many people are turning back to ancient methods like the yoga and the breathing and the Reiki and the energy and like all these natural healing practices I mean there are sound baths now everywhere um so I think that people are actually returning to ancient technologies because they feel like um the progression of like the the you know the computer the internet the ai isn't necessarily in alignment with like who they really are inside so i think that that there is a progression there but i also think like the turning back to how things were in the beginning is like a soul progression that maybe was missing throughout the 20th century that now people are kind of bringing back and have you watched ancient apocalypse I don't think I've seen that one yet. You have to watch that because that's all about the megaliths that okay. are bu- that are built a- around the world and I how love them. all of those megaliths are basically built in alignment with um, the stars yeah. and their like yeah the solstices and stuff. Yeah, like that. I love watching those shows because like it almost always ends up that like oh we couldn't figure out why they would do this and then they look up at the sky and they're like well actually that's where the solar eclipse is that's where this happens yeah. and like. People just assumed that because they didn't have iPhones, everyone was an idiot. Right. Um, you know, and I, I do. Like, sometimes I think there's positives, and I think, like, we're heading in the right direction in some areas, and I love to see people, like, returning to, um, you know, older practices or exploring things that we've forgotten along the way. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. I'm excited for your podcast. Do you know when you're going to start it? Yeah, I wanna, I, I'm waiting for my microphone, and then you recommended these easier-to-use ones, maybe. Right. So I would say probably within, like, the next week or two. I mean, I'll also show you the microphone I use at home, which is great, too. These are right. just, like, really cool because, like, they clip onto your shirt. You can right. do it anywhere, um, and it makes for, like, a really nice interview process. I also have this, like, dream that when it's nice out that I could just be walking around, like, Prospect Park with someone right. and having a conversation while we walk. Um, so like, I think like in a lot of ways, like technology podcasts, like mm-hmm. the little tablet that I'm using instead of a notebook, like I think, I think there's cool stuff out there and I think there's a lot of progress, but I'm glad to hear that you're going to be like putting your voice out there and putting more of this goodness yeah, into the so world. Excited. Um, you know, if you ever want to come back on the podcast, we'll get you back on. If you ever want to guess, one of the things I was playing around with as an idea is this idea of like letting people guest host the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to be the only person who ever talks on my podcast. Um, so we'll play around with that idea as well. You gotta get Jared on there. Yeah, we're gonna get Jared on someday. You know, he's just so busy. <laughs> Getting him in one place is like yeah. a whole to do, but we'll figure that out. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's probably a pretty good place for us to wrap it up. We're coming up on 45 minutes of talking and it feels like it was about 15. Mm-hmm. So um, anything else you wanted to add? Anything you got? All right, cool. So when your stuff is ready, like, make sure to let me know. I'll share the podcast with the office and with the people um, and all the social and things like that. So thank thank you you so much for coming on. Um, Oh, I did have one quick question. Okay. As far as reading goes, are you only reading history, health, science? Like, do you ever read nonfiction or... I do love nonfiction, but it's so hard for me because I have so many. I mean, I I'm do sorry, read fiction. Fiction, that's what I meant to say. I think I said nonfiction, but. <laughs> I do read, I do love fiction. Like, I actually um, learned that reading fiction is really important because when you read fiction, your mind visualizes scenes. And so that's really important for your creativity and imagination, which then is really important for like ideas and inspiration that you are able to develop. But I just have so many nonfiction books right now. 
But I, I think that, like, fiction books have a great place and time in the summer on the beach in the right. Mediterranean. I like so, that. Yeah. And I think it goes back to the variety that we were talking about, right. too. Mm-hmm. So, also on books. How quick are you to, like, be like, do you stick with every book to the end? Or are you like, I got what I needed from this book? Or this book's not for me and you're on to the next one? So, I basically, I order my books online and then when I get them, I, like do like I read the table of contents I'll flip through and I think like at this point I can get a pretty good feel if like that's something I'm going to want to stick with or not and then once I started I basically read it all the way through but I like familiarize myself with the book prior to committing gotcha yeah right I like that my my skill is like as soon as I got what I need from a book or I don't think the book's for me anymore I will book ADD it like <laughs> I'm on to the next book I might come back to a book a year later yeah. and just pick it back up but, like, I will abandon a book as soon as I... Which I don't even know if it's the best approach, but it's just kind of my approach. Like, yeah, no, I think that's good. And it's also nice to just have as a reference, because then, like, later on, the information in that book might feel more relevant, like, once you put another piece of the puzzle together. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So we can nerd out about books another time. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for I very much me. appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Anytime. You're always welcome back. So everyone, check out Carolyn. Figure out how you, she can work with you, how you can learn from her. Uh, it sounds like she's got a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline. So check her out on social. Check out her website. And uh, yeah, have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please remember to share this podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on social at Moby Dickert and learn more about me and the podcast at thomasdickert.com.